one. What's up, everybody? This is Stick to Football Bleacher Report's college football and NFL draft podcast. I'm your host, Matt Miller, joined by my guy, Connor Rogers. And buddy, we have a great show today. We're going to fix the New York Giants. We got our homie Jim Nagy, executive director of the Senior Bowl, coming on to kind of recap things with us, maybe tell us some behind-the-scenes stories. And we got a ton of draft on draft questions. Thanks to you finally diving in, sorting through the DMs of all those, you know, hopeful young ladies in the New York area. You said, nope, I'm working today. We're doing draft <laughs> on draft. I love it. Yeah, I had to get all uh, all caught up on a lot of questions. We have a lot of great questions. We're going to talk about also how the rookie of the year shook out here. A lot of people want to know why Baker Mayfield didn't win or happy Saquon Barkley won. I believe, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, Jim might be one of our first, if not the first, Third time guest returning. So I was thinking about this, man. I can't remember if we've had Ryan on. Ryan Hurd has been on Mm. at least two times, maybe three. Someone. Okay, that makes sense. Someone has definitely kept count. (laughs) Hurd is three. And obviously some of the biggest news we have around stick to football right now. You guys have been following a lot of our live events here. We got a really big one coming, and this is actually the second year in a row we're doing it at the NFL Combine in Indy. Two deep brewing on March 2nd. I believe we'll get things going around 5 p.m. And, Matt, tell the people how they can get some free lots of things, hugs, handshakes, high fives, pictures with us. Uh, go to – you can download this app. It's called Night Out and just search for Stick to Football Combine or get on our Twitter, our Instagram, our Facebook. The link is all over the place where you guys can sign up. Like Connor said, it's free. Like there's no charge. This just helps us be able to tell 2 Deep Brewing Company how much beer they need to make that week basically. So uh, get in there, sign up, and when you get there – I'm going to spoiler alert here when you at the door, we're probably going to have our boy, big country there scanning tickets, show him that you signed up in advance. We're going to give you a free koozie. So you can't beat it. A free stick to football koozie, not like one of those weird burlap ones. Like you get a free stick to football koozie. Um, we're going to have stickers. We have wristbands. We're going to, we're going to be out there just wanting to hang out with you guys uh, over some great, great beer. We went to this place last year, Connor. And I, I don't know if you remember, I liked their beer so much. I was like trying to get them to ship it to me. And they were like, well, legally we can't ship beer to Missouri. Like, well, what about illegally? Can you do it that way? They were, they wouldn't. <laughs> But it was a great time. Um, we had, I think we had around 80 people last year. My goal this year is 100. So we want to see you guys. We've had so much fun on the tailgate tour. So if you didn't get a chance to make it out to one of those games, this is just like that, except for we're indoors and it's like nice craft beer. Yeah, it's a great venue. And, and we really are just there to hang out with everybody, catch up. Obviously, there'll be a lot of news going on because that's right in the middle of the combine. That's after the second day of all the athletic testing events. So it, it's going to be a ton of fun. But besides that, Matt, ton of draft news filing in. I see you have a lot of good nuggets to share this week. So what are we leading with in that? Yeah, let's get into it, man. It is that it's our time of year. I, I woke up Monday and was like, oh, my God, it's draft season. Like, so excited. We've been talking about it since, uh, well, since last draft ended. So it's nice to finally be in this moment where all 32 teams are now invested in the offseason. So let's get into some of the news, man. Dwayne Haskins, quarterback from Ohio State, one of the bigger names in this draft class, has been forgotten a little bit because of the senior bowl hype around Daniel Jones and Drew Locke. Been forgotten a little bit because of the weirdness that is Kyler Murray right now. But Dwayne Haskins is a name to be remembered. And I have talked to two teams, Connor, drafting in the top 10 that love him. They they love him as their quarterback. Now, these are scouts or directors, not necessarily the GM and the owner who are going to make this decision come late April. But I can tell you two teams in the top 10 are in love with Dwayne Haskins. And people told me, that after the combine, he's going to be like the bell of the ball, man, because people are going to love his 
arm strength. They're going to love his character, his football IQ. So Dwayne Haskins, unfortunately not talked about a lot on Sticks Football over the last month because of other circumstances, but I'm here to put a flag back in the ground for Dwayne Haskins as maybe the first quarterback off the board when we get to the, the draft in late April. Yeah, and this show last summer was one of his biggest fans before he even became a hey full-time now, starter. Hey now, hey now. Not this show. In a week, you. You were. <laughs> I definitely was. I definitely give yourself was. Some credit. And also, it's kind of strange, Matt, in like the weirdest way, he's been the forgotten man because for us, I feel like he's been almost the consensus best quarterback. And you nailed it. There's a lot of weirdness around Kyler Murray, not only the situation of if he's going to play football, but how he projects to the NFL. Locke and Jones have been risers, but I think Haskins is the guy in this group. I think he's going to interview very well at the NFL Combine. I think he's a very smart player. But after seeing him in the Rose Bowl, that arm is real, and, it is. and that matters. He's somebody that won't be scared to go out there and throw because he probably will throw as good as anyone. So really the complete package that is Dwayne Haskins, and it does make a ton of sense that teams that are picking in the top 10 already have love for this guy. If you're a Cardinals, 49ers, or Jets fan, that probably makes you really excited because that might lead to a trade-down option in the long haul, especially if the, the hype around Haskins continues. So exactly, one man. more thing. Yeah, right? I mean, when I you, when you look this. at it. I, oh, sorry, I want to add this on. Because we haven't talked about him and we haven't seen him at the Senior Bowl. We haven't seen him doing Gatorade interviews. But Dwayne Haskins' last three games of the year, like if you have doubts about him, go back and watch him against Michigan, Northwestern, and Washington. Those are very good defenses, especially Michigan and Washington. Watch him carve up those secondaries with guys. I mean, Paris Campbell is a pretty good receiving prospect. Terry McLaurin, fine receiving prospect, probably a day three guy. He's doing this without like the elite talents. He doesn't have Clemson's receivers. He doesn't have Alabama's receivers. So go back and watch those three games. Maybe we need to do a stick to football segment where like we watch a game and like run down what we're, I don't know how good that would be to listen to us watch a game, but like, Watching those three games sold me on him. He's the only quarterback I have a first-round grade on right now. Yeah, same with me. I'm right there with you with Haskins. And I think some people you know, argue that he plays safe at times. They lost one game this year. So uh, what do you want him to do? And in the game they lost at Purdue, the defense gave up 49 points, okay? <laughs> right. So when it comes down to it, this is someone that threw for nearly 5,000 yards, completed 70% of his passes. Yes, he was safe at times throwing underneath, but he also has a lot of juice in the middle of the field on those high-velocity window throws. We've seen him really throw a touch down the field. So I think you make a very good point. For an Ohio State offense, this wasn't what we're used to. There's no, you know top 10 offensive line kind of pick in this group. I'm not very high on Paris Campbell, although he has excellent speed to make plays after the catch or with manufactured touches. Terry McLaurin, yeah, he's probably a third round guy. He can play special teams. He could be maybe a nice third, you know, third receiver on an NFL team. But when it comes down to it, this offense was around Haskins and he deserves somehow deserves more love than what he's gotten. Uh, we'll get there. I really do think that it will get to that point where, you know how it, uh, what did you say the other night? The draft is a flat circle. It'll come back, it's right? It's a flat circle. Him. True detective. Yeah, exactly. Which, who season three is so good. I, I know you started it before me. It, the hype is real for season three. It's very good. I, I wish they just released it all at once because it's absolutely nauseating waiting week to week. We're for so spoiled. Episode. 
Like I know it, this is like the most th- this is like the most first world problems uh, ever. Right, like my my show on binging. I can't watch my show right away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. More buzz. Jawan Taylor from Florida. Uh, another guy hasn't had a lot of talk on stick to football. We're gonna get more in the weeds now that there's no college football to talk about. There's no NFL games to talk about. Uh, Jawan Taylor from Florida, right tackle, big dude, big six five. 340 pounds is what they had him listed at at Florida. Uh, He has movement skills. He has power and has experience. And what I'm hearing from teams talking out to scouts on the road, they think that he could be the first tackle drafted. And I think that would be an upset because you have Jonah Williams out there. You have Yadney Kajust, Andre Dillard, Cody Ford at Oklahoma. There is a lot of talk right now that Juwan Taylor, after the combine, once people see his power, his movement, and just – you get him out there in the one-on-one drills and watch his footwork. I think folks are going to be very excited. Now, I think he's only a right tackle. Uh, he's he's nasty. He's tough. Very, very physical at the point of attack. But I think he's a right tackle, not someone that you could potentially slide over to that left side. But if you're a team, and there are a lot of them in the top 15 that need an offensive tackle, you need help on the line, Jawan Taylor might be that dude who comes off the board and can can be the the plug and play, you know, maybe not to the level of Quentin Nelson, but maybe like a Mike McGlinchey was this past year for the Niners. I'm fascinated right now by the first round of this offensive line class because we have now done the revolving door so many different times where it was Jonah Williams will be the first tackle taken. Yadi could just could be in that conversation. Andre Dillard, Cody Ford, and now Jawan Taylor. So I think my takeaway, you know, taking a big step back here and looking big picture, Matt, is that we might have five to six offensive tackles taken in this first round. If you start to get Dalton Reisner at the end of round one, and I'm sure there are names that I haven't even gotten to yet. So as Taylor starts to get this legitimate top 15 hype, we've already seen once again, Andre Dillard, Yadney Kajust, and Jonah Williams in that conversation as well. It just goes to show you that not only do teams believe these guys have the talent to warrant those type of picks, but the demand for tackle help is off the charts this year. Yeah, you're right. I have I have seven tackles going in the the top 35 picks. So there is a very good chance that will happen. And it's it's like we always say with quarterbacks, some positions are just going to get drafted. Whether you feel like the talent is there or not, four quarterbacks are going to go first round. There's going to be five to six tackles that go first round because those positions are so hard to find that you you really have to draft them to find someone who can be a top-tier starter. Unless you're the New England Patriots, don't come at me. I understand. They traded for Trent Brown. They got Brady in the sixth. That doesn't happen to anybody else. So let's not go there. We don't need Connor upset for the rest of the show. But Jawan Taylor is someone that's going to be interesting. And I'll tell you, dude, on my rankings right now, there are so many tackles that are just together. Like, I just have pieced together. And I'm waiting for more film to come in. And I'm waiting for the combine to try to divide them out. But the name that... I still love, I still think he's a top 10 player is Jonah Williams from Alabama. And I don't, I don't care if you want to play him at guard center left or right tackle. He is going to be a pro bowl offensive lineman. Just fit him into your scheme somewhere and let it work. Yeah, I think that's a great point. We get so caught up in the conversation of the importance and demand on the offensive tackle position. But when you look at the teams that just add flat out good players that can fill holes it changes what they could do. I mean, Quentin Nelson, there is no Quentin Nelson in this draft, to be fair. 
But at the end of the day, the argument around him wasn't, is he good? It was, can a guard make the difference? And guess what? Him and Braden Smith this year, they really did. And I think Jonah Williams will do that for a team next year, along with some of these other guys. So speaking of two guys that did make a gigantic difference as rookies, Baker Mayfield, Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley takes home the Rookie of the Year award, obviously, on the offensive side. Matt, what were your thoughts with this? Do you disagree? Do you think it was, you know, done? Could you make an argument for both? You could make an argument for both. And full disclosure, I don't have an AP vote, but on the Bleacher Report side of things, we hand out awards, and I voted for Baker Mayfield. And I thought I, I did that based on impact more than numbers. Saquon Barkley is, the, I believe, the third running back to have 2,000 yards from scrimmage. It's rare. Like, he had 2,028 yards from scrimmage, 15 touchdowns. He had an amazing year. 91 catches as a running back, 1,300 yards. It's insane. You're right. 21 years old. The guy is going to be the face of the NFL for a long time at his position. And he did it on a bad team, a really bad team. I voted for Baker based on impact. I really did. I, I, what he did, and he only started 14, 13 games, but they went 6-7 and seven over that time. This is a team that won one game. The two years before that. So what he was able to do to come and throw for 27 touchdowns. And I know he threw 14 picks. He's a rookie quarterback. That that stuff happens. Just the impact that he had. I think sometimes you have to take yourself away from the numbers. And watch the games. And feel the games. Three comebacks. Four game-winning drives. The, the year that he had, I felt like just from a, what he did to his team, what he did to the league, made Baker the MVP. But I'm not going to be upset with Saquon Barkley. Uh, I like it. I'm also biased. I said he was one of the best prospects I've ever seen. I gave him a perfect grade as a running back prospect. So hard to be upset with that. And it's great to see also that it was the number one and number two pick in the draft battling this out for the for the rookie of the year. So I actually love that aspect of it. If those two teams at the top and throw your Jets in at three, like they hit. They found guys who are going to be foundational blue chip pieces for those teams for a really long time and and to have it come down to Baker and Saquon like I, I think that's a great way to really kind of like put a cap on what was the 2018 season from draft to Super Bowl those two dudes really dominated and on the defensive side of the ball this is what's insane to me Darius Leonard no pro bowl but he's an all pro and the defensive rookie of the year over somebody like Derwin James Bradley Chubb I mean, what a season for Darius Leonard. What a season for really Chris Ballard and Ed Dodds in the Colts front office because, I mean, they come out and just hit across the board in those first couple of rounds. But what about this one between Darius? It was really, to me, between Darius Leonard and Derwin James, as much as Bradley Chubb had the sack numbers. I just think it would have been hard to, you know, the two first-team All-Pro kind of guys. I really like this decision to give it to Leonard. I do, too. He had 163 tackles. I mean, like that's a, that's a ridiculous number. He had seven sacks as well. Uh, he had two interceptions. Like he was an impact playmaker. player. All over, yeah, exactly. He was a playmaker, and uh, to be a Pro Bowler, uh, a first team All Pro, uh, just uh, and I think he was a Pro Bowl alternate. So the fact that he had this year uh, was was incredible. And I'll say this, man, to the Colts and and Chris Ballard deservedly won Executive of the Year. If Quentin Nelson had won Rookie of the Year, I would not have been mad. Like, I wouldn't have been upset. Not a, no. Like, okay. So it goes back to what you said. It's a numbers game, and, and guards don't have numbers no. like that to sit on. The, the fact that you kept Andrew Luck clean all year, which had never happened in his career before. And, and I've had this conversation with players before about the Pro Bowl. Like, um, our buddy, uh, Mitch Schwartz, Kansas City Chiefs right tackle. I think he's the best right tackle in, in the NFL. 
But he was he was an all pro, uh, but not a pro bowler, because when it comes to pro bowl voting, you don't differentiate between left tackle and right tackle. So I think with linebackers, that hurts sometimes, too, because you don't differentiate between weak side and middle and, you know, just everyone kind of gets lumped together. So I think that hurts guys like Darius Leonard, who thankfully did get in. But uh, he had a he had a great year. Derwin James did, too. He really did. I, I think with a, a safety, you almost have to have like a ridiculous number of interceptions to get up there instead of like he had a great all around season. He only had three picks, but he had, you know, three and a half sacks. He had 105 tackles, I think. So the fact that he had like just a great all around year probably hurt his candidacy a little bit. And you, you nailed it, man, with Bradley Chubb. He quietly had a very good year, but I I think I remember watching a couple of their games. It was like, okay, he's getting a lot of sacks because of Von Miller. Like everyone slides to Von. So he did have 12 sacks, which is, is fantastic. Great rookie year for him. But I think there's a belief that he benefited a little bit from the Hall of Famer playing opposite. Connor, a lot of people know you're sitting in our New York office where there are a lot of New York Giants fans in the BR New York office. Like I would say more Giants fans than anything else, right? Like no, there's. How oh, many without Jets a doubt. Fans? We like have a few. Yeah, maybe I would say five because our office has really grown now that everybody is really all in the same spot. But uh, tons of Giants fans, actually a handful of Steelers fans. And I mean, of course you get Cowboys fans. Cowboys fans are everywhere. They really are. It we, doesn't matter. You could be in like Alaska or Iceland and you'll find Dallas Cowboys fans. I would, actually, so, I've been in Alaska and there are mostly Cowboys fans. Like it's see, weird. Like there you go. Is their merchandise cheaper than every other teams or something? Because you see it everywhere like Cowboys well, you t-shirts. just had the interview with Saquon Hampton who is from New Jersey so when yeah. you I got so excited when you <laughs> asked him like are you a Giants or Jets fan because this is somebody that is from Jersey stayed in Rutgers you know at, went to Rutgers to stay in New Jersey and play for what is essentially their home school and he's like oh I'm a Cowboys fan it was America's what? team when I was growing up and it's just like god damn it dude yeah but anyways we got to fix these New York Giants big blue I mean This is actually one of the most fun fixing segments for a team picking in the top 10 because there are so many pieces, especially on the offensive side of the ball, that we feel we can make a couple additions and get this team back in the playoff hunt. Yeah, and if, you know, if Dave Gettleman and Kevin Abrams are listening and and if you just want to, Connor and I can come consult with you guys for a season and get this thing straightened out. Totally. It's no problem. He's already there. I can teleconference in. We will get you on the right track. You already do have pieces, man. They have Odell Beckham, Sterling Shepard. You have uh, Evan Ingram. You have Saquon Barkley, Rookie of the Year. They have some talent. That Will Hernandez, one of our favorite players from last year. There are some pieces offensively. Now, defensively, there are some question marks. And I think that's where I'll start this thing off because when you look at the salary cap, they have $24 million, which is not a lot. And that's courtesy of uh, on the cap. So... $24 million. Here are the questions, though. You have guys like Olivier Vernon and uh, Janoris Jenkins. You brought in his key free agent signings just a couple years ago, and they really haven't panned out the way you expected them to. I would look at these two players and think they might be on the block, and you could make up a lot of money by letting go Olivier Vernon. You can make up a lot of money by letting go uh, of a, a player like Janoris Jenkins, who's a very good corner, just might not be a fit for what they're doing schematically. There would be a demand for both those guys. So letting them go and building this team around a guy that they should re-sign, in my opinion, in Landon Collins. He wasn't traded last year at the deadline when a lot of people thought that he would be. That, to me, signals that this is a team that wants to build around him as their dude in the secondary. 
It, he didn't have the year last year that he did two years ago when he was an all pro type player. But looking at this 24 million, that's not much, man. You can save quite a bit. $8 million you saved by cutting Olivier Vernon, $7 million by cutting Janoris Jenkins. That that puts you back yeah. in the driver's seat. And and Alec Ogletree, ugh, you save eleven by cutting him. And I didn't love that contract. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's a guy that gets uh gets out of here too. No, and guess what? The Rams didn't either. That's why they gave him away for essentially nothing. So when you look at this New York Giants team, yeah, there's a lot to figure out in free agency, specifically internally, like you just said. I think re-signing Landon Collins, you have to do it. You can't lose young playmakers. I think Fans have understandably probably been a little frustrated recently because two years ago, this was looking like possibly one of the best safeties in football, if not the best safety in football. Yeah. And he hasn't really been that recently. But I think if you put more talent in that defense, he can get back to that form. So I would definitely get that contract done. I just can't see them keeping Olivier Vernon. I I think you're right now. I do think there will be suitors for him on the free agency market because he could still get after the quarterback, but I think they'd like to see him on the field more often, and he's making a ton of money. The biggest, the elephant in the room here, the question mark is, what does this team do at the quarterback position? Yeah, and we've talked about this a lot. We talked about it uh, on the Monday show, running through some scenarios of, what is this front office? Traditionally, we talked about the Bill Parcells rules of uh, what do you look for? You want a three-year starter, someone who's over 60% completion percentage. Uh, and the only guy who met the mark was Daniel Jones. Now, I would never advocate for drafting him as early uh, in the first round as the Giants. I mean, they're picking at six. There's no way I'm drafted Daniel Jones at six. I had a seven-round mock draft come out Monday morning that we talked about on the show, Connor. I would take Dwayne Haskins at six. Now, we've heard competing reports about the Giants. They think Eli's got another year if they just help him. And then it's like, but you guys, eventually you have to tear this down and rebuild it. I would take Dwayne Haskins at six. This feels like a front office that's going to overthink it again. And maybe they draft someone like, uh, uh, you know, Jonah Williams to come in and play right tackle. And they feel like, okay, now we have Nate Solder, Will Hernandez, Jonah Williams. Eli's going to be okay. Don't do it. Draft Dwayne Haskins, get the get the rebuild started one year earlier. I'm with you. Take Dwayne Haskins. He would be fine in this offense. He would get the most out of Odell Beckham. Obviously, Saquon Barkley's there. Sterling Shepard and, and like you said, Evan Ingram. They have pieces for him to throw the ball to. They have a coach that understands quarterback play and would really help out in his development because he's still a really young guy. It's just we always forget that because of the type of season he had there as that one-year starter. Now, if Haskins comes off the board before they pick at six, which that's not an excuse because if you know that, if you do your homework and you know he's going in the top five, you got to be proactive and move up and go get him. Now, the Giants don't have a third-round pick. They used that on Sam Beal last year in the supplemental draft. Hopefully, he's a guy that can come in and help them after being IR'd this season. But So maybe they use some 2020 ammo to move up. But if they don't and they find themselves in that situation, I'm not on the team to just take a Drew Locke or a Daniel Jones oh, in with that you. spot. I, I, yeah, don't force it on players that aren't worth that pick. You said Jonah Williams. He's such a good ad because he could play tackle or center there right away. But what do you think of maybe taking a Devin White in that spot? If you are sitting there and you're like, well, our quarterback's off the board, maybe Jonah Williams is off the board, and they do need speed and athleticism at the linebacker position. I love it. I think the problem is that, again, we're talking about trends in a front office. This is a a team that traditionally did not value linebackers early. I would hope that Dave Gettleman's influence, where he did draft – uh, Luke Keekley, 
uh, did draft Shaq Thompson as first round linebackers, I would hope that he would look at that and say, okay, Devin White is maybe a better version of Shaq Thompson. He's more like a Miles Jack when he was healthy type player. I would hope and pray that if they don't go quarterback at six, they would go Devin White and then try to come back around because, like you said, no third-round pick, but they pick at number 35 overall in round two. You could get Jarrett Stidham at that spot. And then you have someone who maybe doesn't have the pressure of being a first-round pick in New York. We know that could be tough. There's not that immediacy to come in and play right now because Eli Manning's the starter, and you got to fight a a guy who's probably going to be a Hall of Famer with two Super Bowl rings for that job. Instead, you could let Stidham sit until Eli plays him out of the job. And and then, like you said, no third. I like Sam Beal, and I know we get asked about this a lot. Where would he rank in this year's class? Because they forfeited. What amounts to pick 70 for him in this draft? I think Sam Beal would be drafted higher than that had he been healthy, stayed in Me college, too. and played the way he played. I think he would have been a second-round pick. So I actually feel like that's still a good move for the Giants to get him where they did. But then in the fourth round, if we've gone linebacker, quarterback, and you get on the board at 101 in the fourth round, I think this is where they can look at maybe a right tackle. Uh, maybe this is an area where you try to add some depth in the secondary because Saquon even with Hampton. coming back, Saquon Hampton, yeah, would be a great fit here. Um, I'm looking at offensive linemen who could still be on the board, like a uh, David Edwards from Wisconsin, who could come in and is a natural right tackle and could play that spot for them. So, and then they have pick 125, so they have two fourth rounders. They have two fifth rounders. This is a team that is set up fairly well with ten draft picks. Uh, I believe nine draft picks to where they could make a fairly big impact if you can hit on some starters. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think there are really pieces that, you know, and like you, maybe you can package two of the fours together and get back into round three. But if they do stay put there, obviously David Edwards is a nice name to hear. I think Yelda Froholt from Arkansas, somebody that's played center and guard. I, I think he would help the run game a lot for them. So There are options for this team. I think having that second pick in the top 40 is really key here because if they do lose Landon Collins or even if they don't, maybe you have to look at Taylor Rapp there. Maybe you take the best offensive lineman to fall like a Dalton Reisner. Maybe, you know, you go with a Chauncey Gardner Johnson kind of player that can help you in the nickel and really give you some cover players, guys that can run around and make plays on the back end for that secondary. So, this is actually set up really nicely for the Giants this offseason. They just have to execute. We can't sit here and go into this training camp and say, okay, it's Eli Manning again, but hey, we put more players around him and we think this is what's going to turn him around. I'm not falling for that excuse. That's not going to do it for me. You have the assets to go get better at the quarterback position and you still have the assets to put the pieces around him. So, The New York Giants, they can really turn things around quickly. Obviously, the Dallas Cowboys are a serious threat in that division. The Eagles aren't going away anytime soon. I think Washington now losing Alex Smith has some rebuilding to do, but there is no reason the New York Giants can't be back in the NFC East hunt next year. Yeah, no reason at all. And I want to to piggyback off what you were just saying because you're like running down all these names that could be there in round two. And I had an epiphany when I was in Atlanta. I was sitting in my hotel room working, and I'm doing this seven-round mock draft, and I got to, like, pick 50. I was like, wait, wait, wait. This guy shouldn't be on the board at 50. It was like Jerry Tillery or someone. And it was like, you know what? This draft got sneaky good. Like, I, I remember... It did. I remember watching it in September and early October and be like, God, this draft sucks. Like, I'm not excited about it. It got sneaky good. Like, when you get into, I think, like, the first 10 picks, there's going to be some very good players... And then there might be kind of a flat area. 
man, this second round, like I'm incredibly excited about the second round of this draft to where, you know, like if like the, the Patriots, they, they are loaded because they have two second round picks where they have some flexibility. The Colts are loaded because they have the, the extra picks in this round to be flexible, to move up and get guys like the Colts pick it. Uh, they pick it 26, 34, and then they come back around at 58. Like they're going to get three more starters again because this draft is so good in the second round, especially because the quarterbacks that don't deserve to go round one are going to go round one, and it's just going to push more talented guys right into the hands of these teams with a good front office. At Stick to Football, we like to give you guys awesome guests as often as we can, and we have a, a three-peat now with our buddy Jim Nagy, who's the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. Jim, hopefully you have seen your family. You've slept a little bit. Uh, you've not been in at work at 5 in the morning now that the Senior Bowl is in the books. But we want to say, first off, man, congratulations on a great year. I'm not just saying this because you've been great to us, but that was the best Senior Bowl I've ever been to. And you guys got handed kind of a kind of a shitty deal with the weather, but you made it work. And the the talent level on the field was was, I've been to eight of those things. I've never seen that much talent on the field. Well, first off, thank you guys. And it was awesome like meeting you guys in person for the first time. That was that was great. I wish I had more time to to hang out. Um hopefully we can we can set up another time of the year. You can come down over the summer, we can figure something out. But yeah, it was it was an awesome week. Um it was really rewarding finally getting to meet these players. That was just personally, that was the most rewarding thing was seeing these guys at, at check in day on Sunday and you know, them recognizing me from my, you know, from my Twitter and whatnot, but finally, finally getting face to face with them and, you know, giving them a hug and wishing them, you know, welcoming them to Mobile. And, and again, just speaking of the talent level, I think the thing that, uh, you know, we're really proud of the roster is like we've talked about throughout the fall, having, having four NFL scholars help me out with this thing. And, um, you know, we are really proud of, of what we put together, but really what it comes down to, I think was having those 12 juniors really, really beefed up our roster. And we, you know, I think if you took those 12 juniors, all junior graduates off the roster and replaced them with, with the next 12 seniors, um, it wouldn't quite look the same. So, uh, it was a great week. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's been good getting, getting it behind us so we can evaluate and figure out what we can do better next year. But, uh, year one was a lot of fun. Yeah, and I think you're becoming something of a Twitter legend now, Jim, it seems like, all the way from summer when you were just starting up, and now you have you know quite the following well-earned. It was a great year of content. So after all of that, was there what's the better feeling? Is it after the draft of being an NFL scout, or is it after basically running the entire process and all the way through the week of the Senior Bowl? Are they just entirely different feelings? Yeah, it's a really good question. They, they they are different, you know. On draft day, it's it's really rewarding, you know, because you feel really a part of, really part of a team and a process, and you, you know you're going through those draft meetings, um, and it is really rewarding when when your team picks one of your players. Again, it's not about that. In the end, it's just about getting good players. But there is something to be said for seeing a guy through the process, and like a guy like Shaquem Griffin last year um, in Seattle for me was. You know, getting because we got Shaquille the year before, and then and, and just reuniting the, the twins was was really a a cool moment. So there's times like that that it's really rewarding, but it's more just the grind. There's such a respect in that room because you know that everyone in that room, what they put in in the fall, being away from their families and and spending as much time as they did. So when it all comes together, when the draft is over, you can all just kind of 
exhale and and hug it out and be be excited about the roster you know the guys that you're adding to your roster whereas in this role it was uh it was new for me but uh, you know the thing being able to pick all the players was you know just having to you know being in a position where you can pick two rosters was was a, was a lot of fun in the whole roster building process and again going back to having the scouts and our two in-house scouts here uh you know we I wanted to make this as much like a team team as we could in another personnel department so there was a similar feel uh, when we got all the players and we were getting acceptances it was almost like I've never worked at the college level but I can imagine what signing day feels like so when we were getting the acceptances through the fall um, that was that was a lot of fun so yeah two different things but it, it was it was very rewarding Jim one thing that I noticed this year uh, and you're talking about the acceptances is that you guys were able to retain a high number of those you know we've always seen in the past and uh, your predecessor Phil Savage would get up there on Monday morning and be like all right this guy dropped this guy dropped and you you obviously had some players whether through injury or, or personal decision weren't able to make it down, but by and large, you guys kept a really high number, especially of the guys that we would consider top 50 prospects. How were you able to secure those? Like you said, it's almost like recruiting. How were you able to get them from, you know, accepting the offer to the day where it's, Hey, it's time to be here and ready to go. Um, yeah, I, I, I think we just, we really work to engage these players. You know, it, it was a constant process. Again, I, I said to the group, during orientation that they all made a statement by coming to mobile. A lot of them were at the top of their position groups. And I, I told them you, you separated yourselves from, from the rest of the guys in this draft because you came down here and you're not afraid to co- compete against the best of the best. And again, that's not taken lightly. Uh, that's not just because of the, the chair I'm sitting in now. I mean, you get in draft meetings and the players that, that come down to the senior bowl and play in these all-star games, and they, they are truly making a statement. So we, we did, we, you know, we worked it through the fall on the social media aspect. I think that was eye opening for me that the players really responded to it. Um, again, you know, being in the NFL and not being on social media, you, I, you just don't realize, you know, what these kids are into these days. And, and so they responded through the fall and then it was just a constant, constant engagement after that. You know, I just kept reaching out to them and, um, as best I could. And again, we lost a couple guys late in the process. Uh, even a couple days leading up to the game, a couple guys, 24 hours before they were supposed to be on a flight, um, came up with some injuries. So again, not to say that they were, you know, uh, phantom injuries, but again, that was an eye opener for me that just, we, I, we need to communicate better and, uh, you know, reaching out to the agents moving forward just communicate injuries better through that period of January. A lot of these guys got hurt in their bowl games and they were just trying to give themselves up until the last minute. And, uh, and it, it wasn't communicated well. So I take responsibility for that too, but we did. The retention rate was incredible. Really the only player we truly lost um, because of a non-injury was Josh Allen from Kentucky. Um, but, you know, he's probably going to be a top 10 pick. And I still think he, he could have come here and helped himself because I think he's in that group with Rashawn Gary and and Bosa where he could have come down here and been around these teams and and helped himself. But uh, I respect his decision and, and uh, we just need to keep doing all those things that we did this year and do them even better to to have even a better retention rate. You hinted at something that is so important to not only me, but I would imagine a lot of people doing a media uh, media evaluations or even NFL scouts. And that's small, small school guys or guys that are billed as small school players 
getting the opportunity to play against a higher level of competition because you turn on the coach's film and it's if it's a defensive end, he's often putting the offensive tackle in the dirt and just killing the quarterback or whether it's a corner that the ball really never truly comes his way or the opposing quarterback can't throw. So who was, if there was one, was there a guy that got that opportunity this year and was able to hang with the big dogs on that level? Yeah, I, there was a handful of those. Uh, I, I really think that, and that was a goal too, was not to force small school players into the game just to say we're bringing in small school players. You know, I mean, I, yeah, I never want to be accused of trying to be the smartest guy in the room. You know, we really wanted to identify the right small school guys. I think they all did well. I think Colin Saunders from Western Illinois had a really nice week, you know, on, on top of him, you know, having a baby that week and flying home on Friday to, to kiss his little girl and fly back to the game was an incredible story. But he really showed his power and his athleticism. There's a couple reps during practice where, you know, he's going to the ground. And again, one of the measures of athleticism to me, one great way to gauge it is how, how guys go to the ground and pop up from the ground and to see how quick Colin Saunders can get off the ground um, is really impressive. So he stood out to me. I thought that uh, Keelan Doss, um, going back over the practice tape, the receiver from Cal Davis had a really nice week. He's, you know, I didn't get a chance to see him play live myself. Our, our West Coast scout did. So this was my first uh, exposure to him. Just a really good route runner for a taller guy. He can really drop his weight and separate. He's got savvy. I thought Keelan had a great week. And even Wes Hills from, from Slippery Rock, who was the MVP of the NFLPA game, you know, it looked like he scored on that first drive at the pylon. Um, but he did nice things during the week, and it looked like he was on his way to having a really good game before he got he got hurt on that first series at the goal line. So those were three guys that stood out to me. I thought Titus Howard from Alabama State played himself. I think he's going to be a top 100 pick. And, uh, you know, Nasir Adderley obviously just confirmed what a lot of people thought, I think. Yeah, we had Nasir on the podcast recently, and he talked about playing through a high ankle sprain, which is remarkable when you you think about the good week that he had and then the fact that he was like you said a lot of guys drop out you know with the first sign of some soreness and for him to go down and compete I think says a lot about his character the one thing that we get asked about a lot and like you know this you worked in the NFL for a very long time you don't want to miss on quarterbacks when you're in our business because it's what everybody focuses on and you had a lot of very good ones this year uh Daniel Jones and Drew Locke obviously are the names that most people know when they think of as first round picks, but what, what can you tell us about just how those guys were, you know, maybe off the field, because that's part of the process you get exposed to down there that, that we don't as much, uh, you know, last year, I'm sure you remember like Baker Mayfield shows up and it was like, okay, he's the leader of this team. Everyone's following that dude. Was there any kind of similar moment this year where someone just really stood out? I think, uh, I mean, again, I like, I like all those guys. I mean, that's, that's the hard part to separate because you know, you get close to all these players and they're that, that group of quarterbacks is really, really a great group. But I would say Gardner Minshew of the group, probably just from a personality standpoint and talk about a guy that's comfortable in his own skin. I think that's a huge part of being a quarterback. I think leaders can take on different, uh, different forms. And I always go back to when I was in Kansas city, we, we had Andrew Luck and RG3 in our room at the Combine back-to-back in their 15-minute interviews, and they couldn't have been more different people, um, but they were both comfortable in who they were, especially Andrew Luck. I mean, that guy, he just he's just, he's just who he is. And uh, I think Gardner is really comfortable in his own skin. 
I think that you saw over the course of the week, guys kind of in the, you know, in the, in the meal room, guys were gravitating to him. He came up to me the, the second morning, um, and said, you know, can I get the, can I get Ross Pierce Baker's number? Can I get Elton Jenkins phone number? We got to start working on shot. We got to start working on under center snaps. You know, can I get the equipment guys number so we can get some balls? I mean, he's just on top of it. And then he's just so loose, you know, and free and such a free spirited dude. I think that, uh, you know, if he goes somewhere and he doesn't start, he's going to be that backup that when he gets a chance to play, the vets are going to rally around and really play for him because he's he's just got a real cool, he's got a real cool way about him. This was definitely my personal favorite year of the Senior Bowl. This is my fourth year in a row, and I think it, it speaks volumes to not only the week itself, Jim, but the preparation you guys did. I thought behind the scenes of your guys' scouting process throughout the season on social media gave a different, you know, just a different view for the fans and. Obviously, when you go into it, you always look on things you do differently or things you'd improve on or just things you would do more of. Have you started to kind of circle back and think in your head what you want to do next year that might be different or might just be more of the same? Yeah, um, I would say we're going to get a, a much earlier start on tape. So that's that's going to be huge. You know, I took this job in June. And I, I basically went two months without doing anything football related. I had so many things to you know, with the newness of this job and the transition really took me away from, from the tape and a lot of the football stuff. So, you know, we've got all the tape from the NFL dub center now, which, which we didn't get this year until October, they had to write us into the contract to get that finally. And uh, so we've got all the tape and we're going to get cranked back up here in the next couple of weeks, starting on next year's group. And uh, so I want to have this board built by the end of May. So we'll really, we should really be able to focus on, you know, recruitment of the players throughout the summer and really head into fall camp way, way ahead of where we were a year ago. And Jim, uh, before we let you go, I want to ask one more question. How have you, I mean, have you looked at seniors for next year? Cause you know, we all, we all do that. You know, like you're watching LSU and you're, you're watching the tape and you're making notes and like, Oh, well uh, this, this guy's pretty Im- impressive, but he's not draft eligible. You know, you feel like you're always, you know, a couple years ahead, at least on notes. Have you already started to identify some of the guys that, that you would look at next year as seniors? I have, I and mean, some like you're saying. It's, sometimes it's hard when you're watching tape to ignore some players. You know, Derek Brown at Auburn is a guy that uh, I thought it was really great that he decided to come back. But he's a guy that kind of makes you notice him just jumping off the tape. You know, big athlete can be really disruptive. Um, you know, some of the players, some of the players up at Alabama have already, you know, jumped out and, and declared themselves. So, um, you know, again, it's a lot of the a lot of the bigger school guys that you've been like for me personally tracking in the southeast over those you know since they were freshmen coming in, but those so we we do have an idea, but that's that's the fun part of starting a new draft class is really you know that that those first few looks and wow I didn't know this guy was going to be you know this good or or you know or vice versa. It's really the newness of it is a lot of fun, so I, I can't wait to get into this year's class. Well, Jim, from us here at Stick to Football at Bleacher Report. We can't thank you enough. I mean, we truly mean it when we say it. This was our personal favorite year down in Mobile. It's such an important part of what we do, which is really year-round draft coverage, college football coverage, and NFL coverage, and it blends it all into one. So here we really want to give you a thanks, and we just can't wait to see what you got in store for next year. Well, I appreciate you guys a lot for coming down and covering the game and and doing what you guys do, and 
if there's anything we can do uh, here at the Senior Bowl from a, a media's perspective and improve it, please let me know. Well, we're pretty happy with that box you guys set us up with, so we don't have any complaints, Jim. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're we're just fine. <laughs> yeah, you guys are living. You guys are living okay. You guys. Yeah, I don't know what we had the uh, refrigerator stocked with. Maybe I can check on that inventory for next week. We appreciate it, Jim. Thanks, man. All right. See you, guys. Once again, a huge thank you to Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Senior Bowl, uh, one of our first three-time guests. It was just awesome down there in Mobile this year, and Jim is one of our favorite people to talk to, not just about football, but about all of our usual nonsense And speaking of our usual nonsense, it is that time of the show, Draft on Draft. We're here to answer your questions. We have a ton of these to get through today. So the first one from Thomas Klein. How did you guys all meet? How did the Stick to Football podcast become a thing? Oh, wow. That's a long answer, I feel like. Um, So... uh I've wanted short too. (laughs) Yeah. I'll leave out a lot of the the unnecessary stuff. Mello is my brother. So I've known him since he was born. Uh, Fun fact. I was four. I accidentally peed my pants the night he was born. So, uh, cause I had to stay with a relative that I didn't know where their bathroom was. And I was like too shy to ask peed my pants. So So you just went in your pants, let it go. So (laughs) Mello basically ruined my life from the moment he was born. Uh, and then Connor, we've worked together. Uh, you've been at BR about four and a half years, and we worked together on yeah. uh, draft coverage. You were the producer for uh, all, basically, of the video stuff that I did. And uh, years ago, I mean, f- probably four years ago, I was trying to do a podcast. And Aaron Nagler and I, who used to work at BR, kind of did one for a while. And just uh, we never really had the time to commit to something like that. And then. Uh, almost exactly two years ago, we got the word that uh, I signed a new contract two years ago and Bleacher Report uh, agreed to give me a podcast as part of that. And I said, I got I got to have my guy Connor, but I'm doing a podcast because nobody wants to listen to me talk to myself for an hour. And man, we've uh, we've had some fun with it. Yeah, I think our original thought going into it was that Matt was going to obviously do the show and I was kind of kind of be like the stats and researching kind of producer in the background for him to go to when needed. And I just couldn't shut my loud <laughs> New York mouth. And now we do the podcast together. And then we have mellow in the fold now too. So uh, it's just like, it blew up into something we never expected. I think it was really at the end of the day, just two friends that saw a space to talk about the NFL draft year round. And I don't even want to give our, ourselves that much credit. It was asked of you so much on Twitter that you almost yeah. felt like, I mean, you always were passionate about it, but you almost felt like you had to do it as a part of your content as well because of the demand. Yeah. And thankfully we have a lot of support. Um, our, our boss, Jesse is badass. We love her. We couldn't do it without her whiskey from uh, who actually doesn't even work for Bleacher Report. He works for Turner, but him on the production side, because I and I, I make this joke to you guys all the time. I don't know how to do anything really, but like talk about football. So when it comes to like, I, I've learned how to set up equipment. But man, two years ago, we did the first show in my kitchen and we had one mic that didn't work that well and didn't think about horrible. the fact that we were in a room with like all this space behind us where just the sound echoed. And but we've 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 done all right with it. It's been fun. And I mean, honestly, all the credit goes to our our listeners because if if y'all weren't there, we wouldn't be able to do this. So so thank you for that. That show always reminds me that Mitch Trubisky was our debut guest. Like we need to get Mitch back on. Yeah. Because that was such an important interview. And it was, pro- I, I actually admittedly have not gone back to listen to I'm it afraid because to. I'm so terrified of not only how bad we might be, but the sound quality of it. Yeah, it was all bad. Our first 10 shows, we had like 
We really came out firing with guests. We had Trubisky, we had Jake Johnson, Ryan Hurd, Adam Schefter, Schefter Taylor Lewan, Jason Kander, and Josh Allen. And then we were like, <laughs> okay, so those weird. are those are all our friends. We're done. Like that's all we got. Yeah, we have no friends left. Lamelo, you want to come on the show for the summer, <laughs> <laughs> right? And then never leave. He just kind of stuck around. And uh, it's funny, Melo came on because he was breaking out quarterbacks for us, and it just yep, it worked. And then when we added the Friday show, it it just made sense. And now we do three a, a week, so it's been fun. We appreciate you guys for for building this community that we have, though. Uh, Carson Trask, nineteen. Wants to know, and I answered this earlier, so you can take this one, Connor. Where would, oh no, I didn't. I can't read. Where would Dwayne Haskins rank among last year's quarterback class? So I missed that word last, and and that's important. Oh, man. It's tough. tough. I I mean, I I like Baker. I think I like Baker, Rosen, and Darnold more than him. He's a way, way better quarterback than Lamar Jackson. That's what I was going to say. So I think I would put him. He's he's really good. Like he probably would be what fourth. I oh also like I wasn't a Josh Allen fan. You were. Yeah. Who knows how it's going to work out? Because he was really good at times this year and obviously also had no help and struggled at times this year. So, yeah, I, I think for Haskins, for me, he's a little bit after those three I named. Yeah, I would I would honestly put him four. I pulled up my rankings. I had it Darnold. That's what I have. And then I had Allen Rosen and Baker tied, which man, I can't believe you guys let me do that. Uh, so I would put him after Baker. Bullshit is that. Yeah, right? (laughs) Like, oh, just they'll tie. It's fine. Um I can't really can't believe you let me get away with that. Um I didn't know you did this. I didn't either. Uh but I had Lamar Jackson at fifty two. And I obviously have uh Dwayne quite a bit higher than that. One thing that that I really like about the grading system that I use is you can cross compare. So I will put a number grade on Dwayne Haskins and you'll be able to look back at all the rankings I've did since uh, I think 2015 is when we started using a grading scale at Bleacher Report. So you can look at the last five draft classes and figure out where he would fit in. But I I do really like him. Um, It it, it, like it's funny looking back at years and being like, gosh, I really liked Jameis Winston, like really liked. And I don't remember why, but I, I definitely did. So, uh, and Jared Goff as well. So it's, it's fun to look back and see where, where guys were and where they are now. Jay underscore James 55. What wide receiver will best fit the Steelers system if they trade a B and could get a first or second round pick back for him? The obvious answer is Marquise Brown, right? Like it, you just, if you're going to lose a guy, it's best to find someone who's just like him. And it, it doesn't hurt that they're family. I think Marquise Brown, now it's unlikely he would be there uh, where the Steelers pick in the first round, but he's so explosive and b- before the catch and after the catch. So I would look at him as a good fit. If you get into that second round range and, and you want to look at guys, okay, well, you know, do we think an A.J. Brown could be there? I, I happen to like A.J. Brown, but he could slip a little bit in this class just because of the speed factor. Paris Campbell, Miko Hardman, and Debo Samuel are also similar type guys where if you just want someone with a ton of juice who can make plays after the catch, you know, Paris Campbell and Miko and Debo are all also like the fact that they can move around. They don't just have to play slot or they don't, you know, have to be just an X. They can play a lot of different positions for you. And I, I think that's one thing that would make the Steelers offense a little more unpredictable if they do move on from AB is to get some players like that. Yeah, I think every receiver that goes to the Steelers offense turns to gold. And two of my favorite receivers in this class are Kelvin Harmon and uh, McCall Hardman. So when you look at those two guys, I think they would fit seamlessly. Hardman's more of like a vertical stretch kind of guy. He could yeah. also 
do a lot of damage with the ball in his hands off of screens or any kind of manufactured touches. And I think when you look at Harmon, he's just kind of a high floor player with good hands, a big frame, big body. He'll shield defenders. So, I mean, once again, I, we're not going to bet against anyone that ends up in that Pittsburgh offense, but those are my two favorites. Yeah, th- those are great. You really do like Kelvin Harmon. I'm excited to dig in more on him now that the draft 400 process is starting. I think he's safe. And yeah. you really liked Michael Thomas, so I think you'll really like, you know, you like him for what he is. He, he's not Odell, Julio, any of those kind of guys. But if you take him in the top 40, I think you're going to get you're going to get a very productive player. Brown's mock draft wants to know who are your deep sleepers right now at corner wide receiver and linebacker that everyone should know about Ooh. my guy at linebacker. And this is not me being a Texas fan is Gary Johnson. Uh, he was a Juco kid, got banged up as a junior this past year as a senior. Really impressive. I, I, I we should have asked Jim Nagy about this. I don't know why he didn't get an all-star game invite, but he didn't. He has speed. He can play sideline to sideline. And the, the folks at Texas rave about him in terms of athleticism and, and consistency. Um, I, I know he had a missed game. Um, and, and the rumor for that missed game was that he had failed to test. But I, I love his game. So if you're going to talk about like a late linebacker, and, and we're talking probably day three, he would be my sleeper at that pick. Terry McLaren would have been my guy at receiver. I don't know if he's still a sleeper because of how well he performed at the senior bowl, but I, I did really like his game. Yeah. It's really hard when you talk about sleepers because of the amount of coverage yeah. that the draft gets now. That's my biggest thing. When you look at that, I think when you look at Jermaine Pratt from NC state out of the linebackers, I like, him. I, I like guys. Yeah. I mean, you like guys that can, that can run and, and be really productive. So when I look at him, I think he's an exciting player that is probably sitting in that early day three range. I mean, we'll see teams might value, him a lot more. I think when you look at cornerback, the obvious top group now has really solidified themselves as greedy Williams, Byron Murphy, Deandre Baker. And then I think your guy Trayvon Mullen gets into that conversation. And, and then you get into the Julian love Rocky sin kind of mold. I actually, the guy that I like is Chauncey Gardner Johnson as a nickel. And I know he plays yeah. safety at Florida, but I'd like to see him play a nickel role at the next level. And he's probably an early third round, late second round kind of pick that maybe it just takes the combine to get people talking about him again. But the senior bowl takes so much shine away from those underclassmen that declare that we almost forget about these guys. And the wide receivers go on for days. I think Demarcus Lodge from Ole Miss has a lot of talent. Uh, you know, I think he got hurt during Shrine Week, so that cost him. But if you're looking for a day three wide receiver that's athletic and can really generate separation and even climb high to catch the ball, you know, at the highest point, I think Lodge has shown all of those things. It's just all about consistency with him. Yeah, I would add Deontay Johnson from Toledo as a receiver um, who's I think I had as a fourth round player right now. I, I really liked. And then Corey Ballantyne at corner, a uh, small school guy, but man, just watching him move. And he was a senior bowl uh, add in really good mover. He's five eleven, about a buck 90. So he has pretty good size and he played a washboard washburn, excuse me, small school teams just didn't throw his way. So you're not going to see a ton of tape of him. Like, you know, picking people off and, and just, you know, crazy ball skills, but man, he is very, very fluid as a corner. So uh, I have him as a day three player right now, but we could see him rise throughout this process. I think love lovey John. That sounds right. Do you see the Texans going after? (laughs) We'll see. Uh, Do you see the Texans going after Trent Brown? Also, what guards, tackles, and cornerbacks will be available in the second? For that second question, we could be here all day (laughs) talking about that. But we did 
we did go long-winded on the tackles today. If you didn't get to listen to the beginning of the show, Matt had some buzz that Jawan Taylor from Florida is probably a top 15 guy, and we talk about the, the top tackles, really who's going in that top 50. So you might want to go back and and check that out. Um, guards, are, you know, all over the place. But just to get the Trent Brown answer in here in free agency, the Texans got to do something in free agency, the offensive line. I think the biggest question around Trent Brown is will he get paid and check out? That's always kind of like, yep. there's a reason guys get traded. Now he's been great, right? In New England, of course, he's been awesome. And he probably deserves to get a nice contract in free agency. But at the end of the day, that's going to be the question teams have. Are they willing to take that risk? And the Texans, they have some contracts to worry about themselves. I mean, with Jadavion Clowney there, they have other holes to fill. So, I'm curious to see, what do you think Trent Brown's market is, Matt? Is it going to be really a high-tier kind of payday? I don't I don't know if it will be because, and I know he's came out and kind of, you know, said that uh, everyone would, you know, just ran him down when he was with the Niners. But, man, I, I know uh, everyone in San Francisco is saying this guy's weight hit ballooned. You know, you just couldn't, couldn't rely on him. So I know he's had a good year, but I don't know if teams will see, like, okay, he had a good year with the Patriots. Is he going to have a good year if he's a Brown? Or a Texan, you know, and I think with the Texans, one thing is, okay, Bill O'Brien and Josh McDaniels are going to run a very similar system. So it's easy to plug him into where he would be a fit for them, right? Because he's doing the same thing in New England. But I mean, I just don't know if that's a guy that I want to pay because he is young. He's 25 years old and, you know, had a great year in New England, but did not have good years in San Francisco. So I think you have to kind of go into that with a little bit of buyer beware for Trent Brown. And, and to his original question, like I look at guards and tackles, man, Dalton Reisner, if he's there, he's a top around two guy though. Um, Elgin Jenkins from Ole Miss or, or from Mississippi state, excuse me, could probably play some guard. Uh, Jawan Taylor is going to go top 15. Most likely, like you said, Greg little has some questions in his game, uh, you know, about stiffness and ability to move. So I don't see a lot of guards, man, unless you want to, you know, reach for a, a Chris Lidstrom from Boston College or, you know, Titus Howard, someone Jim Nagy mentioned uh, from Alabama State as a tackle. This year's class on the offensive line, I feel like there's a pretty good drop off to where you're not going to find a guard where the Texans pick late round two uh, that you feel like is a, a really good value. There's just as my board sits right now, like there's. There's more third round guards than there are second round. They got to help Deshaun Watson out. They do. I mean, yeah. Got to do something to protect that guy. Yeah. And like you said, free agency for them is going to be interesting because man, they, what are you going to do with Clowney? It, are they going to sign and trade him? Are you going to try to keep him like that? That's, I, I don't know how you can try to pay him and Watt and the linebackers that they have. A honey badger's a free agent. Kareem Jackson's a free agent. And they have a lot of questions on that team. Like of, of, four or excuse me, three key defenders that you got to figure out how you're going to keep them. And, you know, they, they don't have a ton of money as it sits right now to try to pay those guys. So the Texans, you know, with a new front office down there, they're kind of in a, an interesting spot of, all right, we've, you know, we've got, I, I think uh, 60 million is about where they're estimated to be in the cap space with their carryover. So they got a little bit of money to go make some moves, but they need a lot of help. O-line needs help. You probably got to, you know, add at least a receiver, maybe add a tight end. I know they drafted a couple last year, but that that team's like getting kind of close to a rebuild type phase. All right, next one from Terps. All right, two, yep, go ahead, I got man. you, Terps 243. Are there any international players this year worth monitoring? Also, what's the hardest part of your end of day three when teams start looking into UDFA? So for international players, I don't know of any right now. 
Like, and, and I wouldn't count like guys who play ball in Canada, but you know, if you're talking about yeah, like yeah, the receivers yeah. from Germany and stuff, I, none have popped up on my radar yet, but I think it's still a little early for that. And uh, I don't, I, I don't know if I understand the second question. What's the hardest part of your, of our end on day three? Okay. I think for us, it's just keeping track of who goes where, you know, Connor, you've done four drafts with me now. And you know that when round seven ends, I'm like done. And I, I've told you, like, I'm not going to cover UDFAs. Last year was a little different because uh, I kind of got involved with some of the the players were asking like, hey, where should I go? Which situation is best for me? And so that kind of takes some of my my time up. But, you know, we we will look at UDFAs more, you know, after the that rush of signing goes on. There's just too much misinformation. I don't I don't feel like after three days covering the draft, calling agents to find out where their players are going to sign. Um, we'll we'll know Sunday night where everybody goes and we'll probably talk about it on the Monday show after the draft. Yeah. And to give some of our listeners insight here, we talk so much how area scouting jobs have really become research gathering, background gathering, and they don't really get as much say in who's drafted. That's the GM and obviously the directors at the top of the food chain. One area where those guys have a say and have the pull is the UDFA process because they're in the area. They can form relationships with the player or the school, and they can have the pull to get them to sign there. And obviously a lot of bonuses factor into those decisions. But for guys that are trying to get into the entry-level scouting, that is one way you can really be involved. Like one thing me and Matt always ask people when we you know meet a source or get friendly with a source we always say, well, who is your guy that really got you noticed? And a lot of those times, those are UDFA players. Yeah, and it has been for for even for me, you know, in my career, uh, Dylan Cole going from Missouri State to yep. the Houston Texans and becoming a starter. Like that, that's a, a really, uh, you know, like a feather in your cap that you can throw in there. So it's uh, it's it's important to to have that list. You know, we will have a list of over 400 players ranked and graded and scouted for the draft. And and that can be helpful for teams too. You know, they're there. And this is not like a, to, to brag about the work that we do, but there are definitely teams that will be like, Hey, we've got 19 UDFA spots. You know, anybody, you know, or Hey, do you know any inside linebackers that might not get drafted? We want to watch tape on them. So uh, it, it definitely is a big part of the process because you look at the Patriots and see how many UDFAs end up, you know, making a contribution on that team. And it's, it's a lot of them. Our guy, Dam Supa, wondering, Miller put Lonnie Johnson and Titus Howard as second rounders. What teams are their best fit? Yeah, I like Lonnie Johnson, man. The, the length to his game is really, really impressive. Uh, and, and Connor, I know you and Mello both liked him a lot as well when we were at the, the Senior Bowl. I put him to the New Orleans Saints uh, at 62 overall. Some people say that uh, maybe they don't need a corner that badly. I think any of those teams, honestly, in that range. You got the Chargers at 60, the Chiefs at 61 and 63. And the Patriots at 64. If the Patriots lose the McCordys, Lonnie Johnson would be a slam dunk at them for corner because they do value those guys with length. I think the Chiefs need that. They've got a lot of smaller corners right now. And then with the Saints, you know, they've they've struggled with some guys. Obviously, Marshawn Lattimore is the dude. Like you don't worry about him at all. But I would like to see them get a little bit bigger at the corner position. All right, Trent Crosswell with the Super Bowl outcome. We didn't really talk that much about the Super Bowl, Matt, which is kind of funny to me. But do you guys think it proves that defense still wins championships? It absolutely does. And you're right. We didn't dive into the Super Bowl stuff. We kind of let our guys, Sims and Lefko, handle a lot of that. But um, congrats to my Patriots. I was very happy with the win. Uh, I think it it does prove that, man. As much as we talked all year about, oh, offense and the NFL is evolving. When it came down to the playoffs, it still went back to who runs the ball. 
and who can stop the run. So it's still about, you know, time of possession. Look at what the Patriots did to the Chargers, Chiefs, and Rams. They they did a really good job of limiting their offenses thanks to time of possession. And the Chiefs in the second half obviously got some points in the Patriots, but they were still able to win. And and to, to be able to shut down those prolific quarterbacks that like they did, I, I think it does speak to the fact that not only you know, defense, but being flexible. The Patriots on offense and defense broke away from their traditional molds. You know, on defense, they ran a zone coverage in a base 4-3. Like, that's five years ago. They ran Vanilla. 21 personnel, <laughs> right? Like, they ran heavy personnel like, or 22 personnel. Like, they, they put football back to where it was at the turn of the century instead of, you know, going four and five wide and trying to spread everybody out. So, you know, I, I will give our guy Mello credit, Connor. I remember when this podcast started, he came on here and said, defenses are getting too small. You got 218 pound linebackers. Someone is going to see that and they're going to go back to a power run game. We saw the Titans have success with it in the end of the year. We saw the Patriots have a ton of success with it. The Rams to some extent with CJ Anderson did this. So, it will be interesting to watch this trend and see if more teams do try to go with a bit of a power run game to, to you know, when, when every defense is five and six DBs and light linebackers, why not have a 230-pound running back or a guy like Trent Brown at left tackle to open some of those holes? Yeah, and on the defensive side of the ball, when you look at a team like the Kansas City Chiefs, it feels like having Pat Mahomes at quarterback, you could score at will. But they needed that one big stop. Now, D Ford went off sides, I know. But they <laughs> needed that one big stop to make it to the Super Bowl, and they just couldn't get it. Yeah, it, and it, it does. like, And you look at this draft, I think that's why this year's so exciting because you have great defensive linemen. Great edge players. There's depth at corner. You know, there's a couple safeties that we're really excited about. You know, Taylor Rapp and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Jonathan Abram, Deontay Thompson. There are guys in this draft that you can look at and say, okay, if this is where the game's going, man, I'm really excited for these players fitting into that type of scheme and that type of system. So it is a, a good year to, to patch up some of those holes. Last question from our guy, Coach Steers. Analysts always say, look at the individual and not the school. If you're on the clock and it's Greedy Williams, LSU, against Byron Murphy, Washington, how do you not go with DBU over a school that puts out underperforming talent? I, I, I'm i that way. I always say, Scott, the player, not the helmet. And I think you have yep, to look time. at, you got to look at the traits that have made some of those Washington corners not do well. I will say Marcus Peters is pretty good. And he's a Washington player. So and I think Sidney Jones, it's too early to say because he got hurt and had to spend this year trying to get back to form. So I, I still think Washington turns out some pretty Buda Baker's a, a pretty good player. So, I mean, I don't know if LSU's DB or not. Ohio State has a claim to that. Texas has a claim to it. But I think with Greedy and Murphy, you have to go back and look at the traits that they have on field and off field and figure out what makes them successful. What makes them tick? You know, Greedy is this tall, long corner who doesn't run well. Murphy is kind of a smaller, feisty guy who does move well. And you have to look at your scheme and say, okay, if you're the Steelers at 20 and you missed on Artie Burns, you might be less likely to go after someone like Greedy Williams, who's very similar in terms of traits and physicality. You might want to go uh, at a guy like Byron Murphy, who I think shows more day one instincts and awareness and technique. But it, I'm not saying that teams don't do this. I'm sure there are teams that look at it and say, you know what? Uh, players from Washington haven't worked out as well as we hoped. Let's stay away from there. I I've told this story before. There was an NFL team that would not draft South Carolina players because they had missed on so many of them. So it, it does factor in, even though if the rule says it shouldn't, 
we're all human and, and things like that can impact your decision. Yeah, and I think there's a big differences with school bias and actual positives to take out. Like you might look at LSU and go, okay, well, what DB am I going to love from there this year? Because I've loved one the last 10. And to answer <laughs> that question, it'll be Grant. It'll be Grant Delpit next year. But that's not why we're here. Um, but who, what are they learning? Who are they coached by? What kind of players does that school recruit? I mean, we've talked about this before, Matt. In, in recent years, schools like maybe, uh, you've said this before, Texas had a reputation of recruiting soft players. Florida, Ohio State, sometimes players that were out of control or allowed to be out of control, even Florida State. There's so many schools like that, but just to name a few, so don't hate me. When it comes down to it, scouts at the end of the day, I guess you can call them biases, but more of the times it's part of the job to recognize where you're going and what you're going to get out of that school and what they teach. Yeah, that's exactly it, man. You it, you have to break it down. And I know we say this so much, but scouting needs context. You can't just say, oh, LSU, Washington. Okay, I'm going to take the LSU guy because they've been better. Because you know what? LSU's had their misses too. Uh, this Niners fan remembers Rashard Robinson very, very well. So uh, this I, Jets I, fan remembers him right now. Right, exactly. <laughs> so like, I don't think you can just say it's, you know, it's, it's never that black and white. But that's a great question. I, I really like getting into like the philosophy of scouting type questions. So, uh, man, that's our show. A long one today. A long show. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. Thanks to Jim Nagy for coming on. Hopefully, you know what's funny, Connor? Last night I was sitting there with Mello and I was like, I don't know what Connor and I are going to talk about tomorrow. There's not a whole lot going on. And then we do like an hour and 20 minutes. Wrong. Show. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, we found some stuff to talk about. Thanks to you guys for the draft on draft questions. Remember, make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram. Make sure you have subscribed to this podcast so you get it three times a week. It's draft season, guys. You got to get this podcast three times a week. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We'll be coming at you with draft news, mock drafts, rumors, the whole deal. So make sure you're downloading and subscribing. And make sure if you're free March 2nd and you're within an airplane ride of Indianapolis, you will be there hanging out with us at 2 Deep Brewing Company. We can't wait to see you. Hop on our Instagram or Twitter. Get the link to get your tickets. And uh, for Connor, Smat, we'll talk to you guys real soon. 